Get ready, huh? How many of you have any Justin Bieber fans? <laughs> All right, come on now. <laughs> All right, catch me afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, I was watching that, and you got all this jumping and screaming and crying and shouting, and it's all in reaction to, to Justin. You know, people in that audience, they've been diagnosed with uh, Bieber fever, you know. You know, you kind of go, what's wrong, what's wrong, you know? But the uh, fact is, we've, we've all done that. It's just change the group, t- change the team, whatever. So, I mean, when I was watching that, I thought, you know, there's an element of worship there. At some level, there, there's this engagement, uh, this passion, and it, it uh, appears to be quite heartfelt when, when you're watching it. You know, the psalm, they are full of descriptions of the way that uh, it describes just kind of this euphoric worship. Psalms 35 says, I will praise you in the great assembly. I will praise you there among the crowds. Now Psalm 63, 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live and your name I will lift up my hands. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praises to you. They sing the praises of your name. I mean, what we just saw a moment ago on the screen was uh, some huge worship in that, that auditorium to a very tiny God. And here, here's what strikes me and really kind of gets, gets to me, that too often in church, I see a very tiny worship to a very huge God. I have seen some of the most conservative people that I know, uh, the accountant type, uh, you know, pick, pick your poison, but very conservative people. And I've seen them scream and dance and jump up and down and high five when the Rams score a touchdown, when the Cardinals score a run, you know, or your team scores a touchdown or a run. Then I've seen... The, the Cubs win, and people pass out. <laughs> I know, some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't believe that. The Cubs never win, you know. So. I mean, today what I want to do, I want to focus on Psalms 150. This is a, a song that I believe has got a lot of soul. Th- this song is going to speak to something that, that's very core to your soul and mine. Psalms 150, it starts out, it says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. I mean, people get ready. The psalm begins three very, very important words. People get ready. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right out of the gate, it grabs your attention. Right away, it tells us who that we are to worship on whom we're to center ourselves, our affection, our gratitude, our adoration, where it's to be targeted. See, I think the psalmist understood that our tendency is to worship other things. He knew that that our hearts would drift sometimes, that we would give our affections to lesser gods in, in our lives. 
See, I think the psalmist wanted us to fix our eyes on the author, the perfecter of our faith, that he's the creator, the sustainer. He's the provider, protector, healer, forgiver, savior, king. We're to set our affections on him and him only. You know, the Old Testament, the Hebrews would uh, recite the Shema, they called it. The Shema, it was the first thing they would say in the morning when they woke up. And it was the last thing that they would say at the end of the day. And when their, their heart was drifting, when it was going in the wrong direction, that the Shema would kind of recalibrate their heart. It would recalibrate their focus. It, it would help them so that their attention and their worship, it would zero in on God. The Shema, here, here it is, Deuteronomy 6. It says, Israel, remember this. The Lord and the Lord alone is our God. Love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your and with all your The Shema, this was the first verse that a Jewish child would learn. In fact, there's a good chance that this this verse, the Shema was the first verse that Jesus memorized. It was recited several times during the day, beginning and end, for sure, but many times through the day. And the Shema was something that they delighted in. It provided focus. You know, we need our hearts to be turned. It would remind them, focus on him. We need to praise the Lord. We need to praise the Lord. I mean, people get ready. The psalmist says the most important thing we do, most important thing we do is praise the Lord, praise the Lord where? Well, he's going to tell us. He says, praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. The psalmist here is talking about public worship, like what we did this morning. You know, the psalmist is pointing specifically to that worship. The apostle Paul, he's going to define worship as everything, everything we say and do, that we, we worship God with our entire lives. But the psalmist, and what we're looking at today, is talking about our community worship in this sanctuary. And so that's where we're going to focus today, on that. You know, we're commanded in Scripture to gather together, to worship to pray, to meditate, to teach, to study, to give, to sing. And we're commanded numerous times to pray and to sing. And I think the reason why sing is in there is because it's a a bit unusual to to sing publicly. It, It can be a little bit awkward at times. It's like when... You're at a restaurant and you see a waiter with a cake and candles and they're heading toward your table surrounded by waiters and waitresses that look like they hate their job and, you know, they're heading to the table. And you know what's going to happen, right? And it's awkward. I mean, it's awkward for, for those that sing. I'm convinced it's even more awkward if you're being sung too, <laughs> you know. I mean, what do you, what do, you do? do? You, do you look at the candles Do you look at the people singing? Do you look at the ceiling? Do you run? I mean, you know, I can't ever decide. But singing together, 
it's a little bit odd in our culture. But friends, we are created to worship God and one of the ways that we're commanded, one of the ways we do that is we sing, we sing. Every time my uh, grandkids are here, they're down about once a month and uh, they, uh, they want to ride home with me. And one of the things that we do almost every time we're going home is we kick the CD in and we sing two or three, according to how long they are, worship songs. And they're engaged. And they're loud. We're not good, but we're loud. But we worship. You see, I want them to be captivated by God. I want them to worship when they're here and when they're out there. You know, the psalmist, the psalmist knew something. He knew that when we worship together in the sanctuary, that there's kind of this cumulative effect. There's this declaration, this confession of what we believe is true. You know, when people lift their voices together, when we sing the same words at the same time, there's a sense of unity. You know, one voice, one heart. There's this collective lift, is what I want to call it. You know, songs all of a sudden become anthems. And our soul becomes alive. Psalms 33, one says, sing joyfully to the Lord. Psalms 33, three goes on and says, sing to him a new song. The apostle Paul, he puts it this way, says, encourage each other with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make noise in your heart to the Lord. Paul seems to be indicating, when I, when I study that, he seems to be pointing to the fact that not only is there this, this vertical component to worship, but there's actually a horizontal component as well. That it, when we worship together, when we sing together, we encourage one another. We bless one another. And so it's one of the reasons it's important to, to worship Many of you know this. I've shared it many times because it was kind of a defining moment in my life, but I spent almost a year in the hospital, three weeks shy of a year. I had three operations, cellulitis poisoning, gangrene. I got down to 116 pounds when I was in college. And I was losing weight faster than they could restore that weight. And the doctors said, you know, we can't keep sustaining life. And I remember my buddy Larry, he was my roommate at the time in college, and him and a few friends came down to see me. We're in the hospital room, and Larry just starts singing, Great is thy faithfulness. You know, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have need of thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. I love that song. And friends, I remember when I closed my eyes, I remember that moment. I didn't sing that day because I didn't have the energy to sing. But I remember hearing those words sung by friends and I remember being lifted 
by that song. And I remember when they finished that song, I remember thinking, whatever happens, God, you're faithful, I know it. A few months later, my very best friend, Steve, he would gather in worship. I didn't know it at the time, but he gathered with the priests and nuns, and they prayed very specifically for my healing. And I remember when I was released from the hospital, you know, the doctors say, said, we're not really sure why things turned around for you. I guess you can thank Mother Nature. And I remember looking at them and saying, I will be thanking God. You know, the power of worship to, to lift us, to instill in us. You know, if you, you're going through a difficult time in your life, I want to tell you the tendency, the tendency is to withdraw from the community. The tendency is to withdraw from worship. And friends, you need to be in the sanctuary worshiping. You need to be encouraged with song. It will lift your soul. It's what happens when God's people worship. It's what God designed it for. I mean, if you're here today and you need strengthening... We want to strengthen you with song. I mean, we're glad you're here. And some of you, if you're in a really good place today, you need to sing loud and you need to sing from the heart because not only are you worshiping God, but you are providing strength and encouragement to those around you, those that are going through difficult times. Again, it's one of the reasons we sing and worship. I mean, we're singing and praising God, but the collective life, that is breathed into our souls when we sing. Whether it's here, out there, doesn't matter. In the hospital room. Worship's powerful. You know, sometimes I, uh, I worship when I'm alone. I'm not a good singer, and when I get my iPod on, I'm a, it's terrible. but it's all heart. And I'll just sing. In some of the most discouraging times in my life, when I've been worshiping God, you know, those times when I have felt depleted as a leader or attacked or discouraged or or whatever, I'm just singing and I'm worshiping. And there's no other way to describe it, friends, but when that is going on, I am being renewed revived, restored. Now, don't misunderstand me. It wasn't like everything was better immediately. But over time, you know, sometimes three weeks, five weeks, six weeks, whatever, as I worshiped, I gathered and gained strength. And finally, souls replenished. I mean, people get ready. Praise the Lord. People get ready, praise the Lord, where? In the sanctuary, out there, wherever, with my life. I mean, people get ready, praise the Lord, why? Why do we praise the Lord? Well, the psalmist says, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. See, I believe that we were created for worship. 
And I believe that it's very intuitive. You, you see it in young children. And then what happens is culture stomps it out of us. I mean, we do whatever for our team. And that's okay with everyone. And that's okay to do. But when it comes to God, it's perceived very, very different. You know, perhaps, perhaps, if your worship experience feels a little stale, and maybe it lacks passion and, and emotion, friends, maybe you need to just hear your Creator saying, Be still, know that I'm God. There's power in that. You know, maybe you need to have your first thought in the day and your last thought in the evening and throughout your day, Shema, remembering who God is. Maybe, maybe you need to look at creation and be awed. Just about every morning, I start my day, the same thing. I get in the hot tub and it's my time just to kind of talk with God and I take creation in. You know, the birds, flowers, squirrels, deer. The other day I was in and I saw a barred owl. I was just, wow, God, look at that. That's amazing. And I just watched it. Friends, when was the last time you were awed? I mean, creation It sings how great God is. And friends, when you take it in, when you really take it in, I mean, it is good for your soul. There's a phrase that the psalmist uses. He says, surpassing greatness. In essence, he's saying, when you compare God to everything else, God surpasses it all. He's far greater. You know, the psalmist reminding us how great God is, and too often our view of God, I think, is way too small. I was reading the other day that the uh, distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles. And they were saying if, if 92 million miles could be represented by the thickness of a piece of paper, all right, then the distance between the earth and the next star, the next closest star, would be a stack of papers 70 feet thick. That's mind-boggling to me. The diameter of our galaxy, 310 miles of paper stacked. Each paper, 92 million miles. 310 miles of it. That's here to Chicago, friends. Our galaxy is a speck of dust, and God holds it together. Surpassing greatness, isn't it? I mean, add to that the fact that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins to save us, the the ultimate sacrifice. Why? Because he wanted to have a relationship with us. It's amazing love. It's hard to understand. I, I have a hard time comprehending it sometimes. Surpassing greatness. You know, maybe you need to evaluate your life. You know, realize how blessed you are. 
you know, what God has done in your life. Because friends, when I consider what God has done in my life, it rocks me. It humbles me. I see God in everything. I see God working in my life. You know, I, I look at my family and I see God. I see God in my marriage, in my kids, in my grandkids, in my job, in my ministry. And it makes me want to worship. You know, I think Paul knew that we would struggle, that we would tend to want to take credit for things and not give God the credit. And he, he writes this, he goes, who do you think you are? Everything you have was given to you. So if everything you have was given to you, why do you act as if you got it all by your own power? Everything you have, God gave it to you. But, but, but I did this. I earned this. I worked really hard for this. It was my idea Who gave you the intellect? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the creativity? God gave you everything. And without God, you would have absolutely nothing. In fact, you wouldn't even exist without God. And friends, I believe when that finally sinks in, that it's all from God, things start clicking in your life. It focuses you on God. I mean, you know he's good, holy, just, loving, faithful. He's all-powerful. He's the king of king and lord of lords. He's your salvation. See, surpassing greatness. It just blows your mind. I mean, this God that we worship, that we pray to, that we praise, I mean, every week, I know we're, we're tempted. We're tempted uh, to, to give our, our worship and our dependency to, to our finances, to our jobs, to our family, to our reputation, to our stuff. You know, it, it's a struggle. But the psalmist is reminding us that the greatness of God surpasses all that stuff, it's unmatched. And when you recognize that and acknowledge that, I think your soul comes alive. Your your soul focus becomes God. Your soul purpose, it's worship. And that's S-O-U-L and S-O-L-E, soul. It's on God. I mean, people get ready. You know, the first two verses, they, they tell us who we're to worship, tell us where we're to worship, tells us why we're to worship. Then, then he's going to tell us one of the ways that we're to worship. How do we actually do it? He writes, praise him with the sound of trumpets. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tremble and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them your favorite 
type of music. It might be rock, it might be country, classical, pop, soul, I don't know. Turn to him and tell him. Go ahead. All right, now everybody get ready. I want you to shout out your favorite style of music. You ready? Go. <laughs> Did anybody say yodeling? I want to, I'm just curious. So. See, here, here's what I think happened. The, the first time this was read in the sanctuary, I think it was controversial. You see, in the ancient world, there, there were three types of instruments. The, the kind you hit, drums, tambourines, kind you blow, you know, trumpets, flutes, and the kind you strum, harps, lyres, you know. And I am sure that everybody had their favorite. And so my mind, it gets listening to this passage and thinking about what was happening. And I kind of imagine someone going, you know, I, I get the string thing, man. It's classic. It's, it's intelligent. No, 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 no. It, it's trumpets, man. I mean, that's how you greet a king. Well, I guess I, guess I could handle trumpets. But, but drums, hitting things, doesn't make any sense. My three-year-old could do that, you know. And so you got the stuff going on. Now, I'm kind of reading between the lines, but I think the psalmist is kind of having fun as he's writing this, and he repeats himself. It's the only place he repeats himself in the psalm, but he goes, you know, praise him with clashing cymbals. There there isn't anything beautiful about clash, you know. He goes, resounding, just keep doing it. It's worship. He's making a point. See, the bar's changing. Worship's expanding. Psalms 100, he would write, make a joyful noise. See, some of you sing on Sunday morning. Some of you, well, you just make a joyful noise, you know. But it's okay. So we worship a lot of different ways. We worship with a lot of different styles. Some you may like, some you may not like. But it's all worship. And the psalmist, I mean, he's focused on worship, public worship. He says we do it through music and dance. Other places in scripture, he'll talk about bowing down, bringing the offering, you know, sitting silently, meditating, and on and on they they go. New Testament, Paul says, it's all worship. Our work is worship. Everything we do, everything we say is worship. Our life is to be worship. Today, we're focusing on sanctuary worship. You know, my granddaughter, Naya, she's uh, four and uh, I'll be working or just sitting in a room, and uh, maybe she's just gotten, gotten to her house or she's been a while, but she'll, she'll come into the room, and she does one of these. Ta-da! Grandpa, you've been waiting on me. I'm here. And then I just get a hold of her, and I love all over her at that point. Friends, when we gather, God is waiting for your worship. He's waiting for your worship. No one else can give it to God. 
your affection, your adoration, your heart, your worship. And, and a little sidebar here, something that just bothers me. It's very frustrating. I know my uh, design team that helps create the service this morning, they, we talk about it. But I know that some of you are finishing your serve. And that's why you roll in here late. And to you, I say, it's okay because your work is your worship. And I know that things come up once in a while. I get that. You know, stuff that just, it happens and and you're late. But here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you. Okay, not shame you, but encourage you to join us on time to worship. Why? Because God's worthy. Because he deserves our, our very, very best. And he is waiting. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to pour out your affection and your adoration on him. I mean, can we do that? The psalmist finishes. He says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 63, one says, my soul thirsts for thee. I mean, do you have a weary soul? Do you thirst Do you have a depleted soul, a discouraged soul? See, your soul's craving something. It's God. Psalms 25.1 says, To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. I lift it up to you. And friends, when your heart is heavy, when your soul is weary, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel spread thin, when you're weighed down with anxiety and worry and fear and all the stuff that this world loads up on us, when you worship, when you praise the Lord, there's something that happens in your soul. And the circumstances and the challenges and the disappointments and the heaviness, when you worship, it starts to lift. I mean, people get ready, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's what we're going to do now. It seemed to make more sense to do it than talk about it. You know, people get ready because we're going to pour ourselves out in worship. And what I want to do is have prayer. Then we pour our heart out in some worship with some music. And then prepare for communion today. Let's bow. Our holy God, we praise you. God, you are worthy. And God, I pray as we lift our voices, that we lift our hearts, we lift our souls to you. God, you are amazing. God, I pray that we would just just show you how odd we are by you. God, you are so faithful. God, we lift our voice to you today in praise. And all God's people praise the Lord. Let's stand and worship together.